the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. Welcome to The Marinade with Jason Earl, a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people. This is episode 67, and our guest is Joshua Ray Walker. Josh's debut record, Wish You Were Here, was released in 2019, and the sophomore effort from the Texas Troubadour called Glad You Made It came out to well-deserved high praise earlier this year. Really just a wonderful record, especially if you like country music. Great songs. He's an incredible songwriter, and he really knocked this one out of the park. We talked about that excellent new record. We talked about, of course, COVID-19 and how he's faring during the pandemic. It's so interesting to hear how everybody's doing, and uh, and then so much more during what was an absolutely delightful conversation. You can find all things Joshua Ray Walker at joshuaraywalker.com. Everyone, it is my great honor to present my conversation with Joshua Ray Walker. Please give me peace. I love you from the get-go. You saved me from a funeral pyre. I told you I love you. You called me a liar. Hey, how you doing? Hey, buddy. I'm good. How are you? <clears throat> I'm doing all right. Man, thank you so much for doing this. I have been loving your record, and I'm super excited to talk to you, man. Oh, yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure. It's, you know, this, your, I like your first record, and then all of a sudden it's like you're spoiling us with your prolificness. Like you're already, you turn around a year later and, we, and you've got another record, um, and it's another wonderful record. So can you talk a little bit about like what your process looks like? Um, are you constantly writing? Have those songs been sitting there for a while? What does that whole, what did that look like? Um, yeah, well, you know, I was writing for about 10 years before, um, before I got to make a record. So I had quite a bit of material kind of stored up. Um, and when I made the first record, I had just written some songs that I, of course, wanted to put out. You know, it was exciting because they were new. Um, 
and so it was about 50 50 you know old and new and then when this record when we started talking about this record um i kind of wanted to do the same thing i wanted to draw on my old material and then you know of course write some new stuff um overall my writing process is pretty slow i you know to go from you know idea to finish song is probably um you know maybe six months something like that um but yeah i but i always have work in progress you know like i have a whole notebook of stuff i probably have 60 songs that are you know in the process of being written right now um so i write a lot and i'm writing a lot of songs at the same time but i don't just crank them out like one after the other like a lot of people can and do right so how do you know if you've got six maybe 60 songs going how do you know when you're sitting down to work um and i guess maybe we should back up are you sitting down every day to do the work or are you are you working in spurts um i try to write pretty regularly that's a somewhat new thing in the last you know maybe two years Mm. Uh, i treat it you know like a job i try to wake up and you know write my ideas and then start an outline and then maybe i flesh out a verse here and there um and when i get stuck i just move on to the next tune and you know try to figure something out on that one um every once in a while i'll be able to knock out a whole song you know in a day but that's pretty rare um and yeah i mean my workflow is it kind of varies and you know just how much time i have um affects it a lot too covid has been uh difficult because you know at first i was like oh i'm gonna have all this time to write but really between having roommates and we're all trying to work from home and we're doing things you know like this zoom calls and stuff um just trying to find a private place in the house to actually have time to write. And then also this record took five times as much work to put out, you know, so that people would actually hear it just because the noise floor was so loud, you know, surrounding the pandemic. Yeah. Is that generally speak is such an interesting point? Cause I think, you know, we're all trying to navigate this obviously. And uh, for me at the beginning, I was super productive. I was getting a ton of stuff done. Mm-hmm. Um, creatively you know and like we were recording a couple episodes a week and i was writing a lot and everything was great and then what hit wasn't necessarily distraction like you're talking about but like i just got depressed man i just got to a place where it was like i can't i can't really get motivated like i tried you know and i kept trying to push through but the right output slowed you know because of just the way i felt yeah i've definitely dealt with that um you know if you're prone to uh depression or anxiety after a while you start to um you start to realize these cycles that you go through mentally or at least i have and i feel like a lot of other people kind of have as well um Mm -hmm. and it's like the cycle if it's a six month cycle now it's a two-week cycle (laughs) and it's just like over and over i'll have two days where i'm pumped and super excited about a project and then three days where i just can't seem to get motivated and then two days where 
I'm like, well, this, does this even matter? You know? And then, you know, skim for a week and then start over. Um, and that's, you know, that's happened a few times, but I started off, um, when all this hit just really, uh, the reality of it hit me pretty quick, pretty much as soon as South by was canceled. Mm. Um, I realized kind of the weight, uh, of this. And I had it explained to me by someone who works in festivals, um, what it would really take to come back and just the insurance issues and just, you know, everything. And so I was expecting a pretty long wait to get back on the road. So I definitely panicked for like Mm. two to four weeks and drank everything in the house. (laughs) And then, you know, eventually got my feet back under me and I have a really creative, talented group of friends and artists here in Dallas. And, um, we've all kind of just been motivating each other to be as creative and productive as we can right now. Um, which has been really great. So luckily I've been able to finish quite a bit. Um, but yeah, you know, we totally had to pivot from what I, what I thought 2020 would be, Mm -hmm. uh, South by was going to be the announcement of my second record. I had some secret shows planned. I was supposed to be a, you know, a special guest at the luck reunion and like, you know, all these things were, were happening and we had just put a music video out and then all of a sudden we had to rethink the entire, you know, album launch. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was something and you know, the rules kept changing, uh, constantly. So we would think we had a plan worked out and then a week later that plan didn't work and we had to start again. And it was, um, frustrating, but seeing now that it, it's kind of worked out and, I mean, not totally, but people are hearing the record and they're liking it. Um, you know, it's gratifying to kind of overcome this thing. Right. Yeah. Well, the album's great. And like the, the, it was gonna, you know, it was, it was gonna, and, and it's easy for me to say, cause I'm just the consumer of it, but it was going to be heard. Those songs had to be heard. So it doesn't surprise me that it's that it is getting out there and it's getting such great reception because it's just wonderful man and i do want to get into some of those uh some of those songs but you mentioned um that there was a stretch there where you drank everything in the house what 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 do you do because i can relate (laughs) to that feeling and that and, and going to that that coping mechanism the less healthy coping mechanism what what do you do to bring yourself back? What do you do for self-care in those depressed moments or those anxious moments? Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, if you, if you are prone to these type of things, you start to um, recognize the issues. The older I get, the faster I recognize that I'm in a self-destructive, you know, cycle. Right. So I kind of just allowed myself to do it and put an end date on it. And that's really, it was like, okay, when the alcohol is gone in the house, I'm not buying more. And I went, I was sober for almost 40 days. Wow. Um, and you know, I can't say self-destruction and, and, and moderation is a good idea, but for me, it worked. Um, 
in this one particular case. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just, I don't know. I guess it's more about recognizing your, um, I don't know, recognizing your, your actions. Uh, and then for self-care, I mean, I've been cooking mm. a lot, uh, being on the road for the last seven years, like 10, but really seven pretty heavy. Um, I just don't get to cook for myself very much when I'm home. It's like a special occasion. So we're usually, you know, eating out or I'm eating from my favorite restaurants, you know, cause I'm only here for a short time or, or whatever. So a lot of cooking, um, kind of like spring cleaning. I've been getting rid of mm. a lot of stuff, which has been really nice. Mm. Um, watching a lot of documentaries, mm. uh, any particular documentaries stand out? Um, I'm watching The Last Dance right now, mm-hmm. the uh, Chicago Bulls docu series. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Um, I love documentaries, so I, you know, I kind of I'll watch any of them. Uh, but <laughs> that one about beekeeping, uh, the woman beekeeper who. Uh, can't remember the name of it, but it was very good. I struggled with the last dance because those guys were such larger than life figures for me growing up. And right. like I would have been late middle school through high school when all that was happening. So they were, you know, they were heroes. I mean, Jordan right. was everything. And I, I know we've learned later on that Jordan was kind of, is kind of an asshole, but watching like, watching those guys in such raw moments like it's so real you know and it was i just couldn't get through it because i didn't want to like i didn't want my memories to be tainted you know so i just i gave up on it i know everybody loves it and everybody talks about it and i i i wish i could contribute to the conversation but i'm just like one episode in i was like man i don't i don't want to tarnish what i thought of these guys you know I think I'm in episode five. I think whatever, however many there are total, I got one left Mm -hmm. and um, I get what you're saying. Uh, But I was a little younger, you know, I was born in 90. So at the Mm -hmm. peak of the bulls, I was a little kid, but I remember it, you know, vividly because that's what all the adults around me were talking about. Right. And um, so it's nice to get more insight, you know, now, as an adult and I don't know, speaking to Jordan, I mean, you should never be an asshole, but uh, I feel like if you get to that level in anything in life, it's hard not to, um, I don't know, put your comp, you know, be, you put your competition above your relationships. Yeah. I mean, it, it like, that's why I always say don't celebrate anybody who wants to be president. Cause it's like, you're going to have to step on a lot of people to get to that point. Like, right. You're probably not a, a sweet person at that point, regardless of who you are. Right. Um, there seems to be, you know, a, you talked a little bit of there about insight and you have like a, um, there's a maturity to the observations that you make about the world in your songs. Um, and you're not a kid by any means, but you're, you know, you're 29 and you write like someone who's lived, Two, two lifetimes 
are you aware of that? And, and if so, wh- where do you think it comes from? Um, I wanted to grow up really quickly when I was a kid and I put myself, you know, circumstance put me in a lot of situations, um, that matured me and also by choice and just by being hard headed, I put myself in a lot of positions, uh, mm-hmm. where I had to grow up quickly and I was, um, exposed to a lot of adult themes and people and circumstances uh at a young age so i think part of that was just i don't know i want i didn't want to be a kid i wanted to be i wanted to be an adult and i wanted to you know do whatever i wanted to do when i wanted to do it and i I (laughs) got a lot of packed a lot of living in between the ages of 13 and 25 so um that probably has something to do with it. That's really interesting. You didn't start writing until you'd been playing for quite a bit. What, what led to that decision? Um, it wasn't really a decision. It just kind of happened. Like I always wanted to write. I tried a few times in junior high and high school, but I was playing in rock bands at the time and I just could not write a rock hook like at all i was just really bad at writing uh rock (laughs) lyrics i could write guitar riffs and stuff i was good at that but i was bad at the lyrics and i have a really well it's less clean now but growing up i hated my voice i had a very clean kind of high pitched like choir boy voice and i was playing in these punk and metal bands and if I, I would try to sing, I was like, no, that's not, it just, it just didn't fit at all. Um, and so I kind of stopped trying and then I got into my, my late teens and I'd been listening to country again because of my uh, drummer friend from high school. He got me back into country and I went down like the Texas songwriter uh, path and fell in love with it. And then uh, my grandfather that I grew up next to, he was a novice bluegrass player and he had a really large record collection. And when I was a little kid, I would play along to these bluegrass records in his uh, workshop. I started playing tenor banjo when I was like four and started playing guitar when I was six. And um, we were really close. Um, you know, I lived next door to him from birth until I was until I started couch surfing around when I was 15 or 16 Mm. um and he passed when I was 19 I had just come home to help take care of him he had been sick for a while and uh uh, got a cancer diagnosis and like 11 days later passed um and so I was leaving the hospital that night um and I, this song just kind of, this tune came to me uh, in the parking lot. And I had a, a guitar in the car with me because I, I was uh, sleeping in the back of my car and couch surfing around at the time. And I kind of picked out a melody and then I went home to my like childhood home where I grew up next to him. And sat down on the bed and wrote this song called Fondly that actually ended up on the first record. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was the first song I wrote. And then 
you know, I didn't really show it to anyone. And when I finally did, my friend was like, Oh, you're writing country music. That's interesting. And I was like, no, I'm not like, <laughs> you know, this, no, it isn't. Um, he was like, yeah, it is. Listen to it. And I, I started thinking about, it. I was like, Oh, it kind of is a country song. And then, um, a couple more songs came out over the next, you know, year or two. And then when I was 21, uh, I played a, a songwriter night and decided to, you know, focus more on songwriting and started writing as much as I could. Why was it different? What is the difference when you sit down to try and write a rock and roll song versus a country song? I don't know. I still can't do it. I guess I just don't have that. I don't know. I feel like, you know, my melodies and my lyrics, they kind of just pop into my head. I don't, uh, I never sit down. I'm like, okay, I'm going to write a song now. I always get a, I'll get a line and it just kind of comes to me. Uh, and typically the melody just lends to country music. Um, huh. So yeah, anytime I try to write rock music, I feel like it just comes off as cheesy. Is that just you saying that, or have you sat down, written something, showed it to somebody, you know, gotten another set of ears on it, and and they confirmed, yes, Josh can't write rock songs. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I haven't purposefully done that in a long time. So maybe I'm being too hard on myself. Uh, that's but, what I'm wondering. I mean, you're in a rock band, you know? I yeah, mean, you got, I, I am in Ottoman Turks. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, so D.B. Cooper ends the new record. Right. I'd say that's about as close, you know, to a rock song as I've been able to put out. Um, and if burn it from the first record didn't have such a heavy kind of two-step swing to it, I'd say that could maybe be rock as well. But, um, for some reason they just make more sense as country songs. Right. (laughs) Well, whatever, you know, whatever is, uh, making you happy is making us happy. So that's great. But (laughs) the, um, the, the doing, being in the band, right and then having your own your own stuff Uh um is it difficult to balance those two worlds because it seems like y'all are doing quite a bit with the band now um is is it difficult to balance those things or is it just sort of do you have it figured out i definitely don't have it figured out (laughs) um yeah i mean it it's not hard to balance um like to prioritize the two things, but it is hard to find the time to do, you know, to give both projects their due justice. Mm-hmm. Um, Ottoman Turks is an awesome band that I love playing in. And, you know, I don't, I try not to give my solo project any priority. Um, and for years, uh, my weekends were, were you know blocked off for Ottoman Turk shows. Mm-hmm. I'd been I I played my first Ottoman Turk show the same week I played my first solo show back in 2012. Oh wow! And uh, they both have just grown, you know, independently. And for a, a long time, I'd say until about you know 2018, 
I mean, summer of 2018, Ottoman Turks was still a more popular band with a larger draw and mm. better social media numbers. Just overall, Ottoman Turks was by far the bigger project. Um, and so they got my weekends. Like I played a lot of residencies during the week and then we'd block off weekends. And if Ottoman Turks got a show, you know, and I got a show, we I played the Ottoman Turks show. Because mm. um, it was... Well, for one, it, it can be more fun. And, and also, <laughs> um, you know, that was just the priority. It, it was the bigger, the bigger band. And then when my singles started coming out for the first record, uh, things started to take off and then it became more of a, a juggling act for sure. Are you involved in the, um, the songwriting process with Ottoman Turks? I'm involved with the like arrangement Mm-hmm. Uh, but Nathan typically writes all the lyrics. Okay. How do you, do you think about the songs differently when you're coming at it from, um, from an arrangement standpoint versus when you yourself, do you have to put on a different sort of creative hat in order to do that versus writing your own songs or does it all come from the same place? Um, no, I'd say it's, it's different. You know, Nathan brings, uh, he brings a uh, cowboy chords and lyrics to the practice room and, and we flesh out the song or a lot of times he'll come with a riff, um, you know, kind of the main groove of the song and it's in, in pieces. There's clearly a verse and a chorus and, you know, we might, and then in practice we'll set the tempo and we'll set the, you know, we, we change time signatures or set the tempo. I'll write a riff and, Paul comes up with the drum beat and Will comes up with the bass line. Um, and songs, you know, wildly change after Nathan brings them to us. Sometimes they don't change at all. Sometimes he brings us a song and we're like, yep, that's exactly how that goes. Um, but other times there's a lot of moving around and, you know, a bridge becomes a chorus and, you know, all sorts mm. of stuff. Um, and I guess if I apply that to my own music, I typically write in a, you know, Ottoman Turks doesn't have a traditional structure to our songs. You know, it's more, it's more rock and roll. It's more all over the place. My songs kind of fit the bridge, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus Mm -hmm. model or some form of that, you know, something you've heard in a country song before. So I don't have to mess with the structure all that much, but when it comes to like arrangement and speed and all that, that's something I usually do in pre-production um, and think about and kind of have mapped out in my head. And then when we go into the studio, I try to describe it as best I can to the players who are playing mm. on the record. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for, that was a very thoughtful answer. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, what, when you, you mentioned your, your voice and like how you kind of felt about it at one point and then how that evolved, did you have you gotten to a place where you're comfortable with your voice? Is it still something that you're kind of like not totally at home with? Yeah, I'm always trying to improve for sure. Like I I love a good vocalist, you know, like I wish I could do more of those, you know, soaring soulful runs and, you know, I love John Legend. I love, you know, just like mm. Uh, I love trying to sing along to Beyonce, you know, just like, um, oh, man, and I'm always pushing. A, I pay for an album of 
Beyonce covers from you. <laughs> I I would I would if someone would pay for me to make the album, I'd love to. Um, but you know, like yeah, I'm always trying to grow as a singer and broaden my range. I'd say like I kind of I'll pick one thing and really focus on it. Like when I started singing out, uh, playing my solo shows, I couldn't do any runs mm. at all. Uh, mm. Not even like a three note country run. Mm-hmm. It was it was right where it was and that was the note and and that was it so i started working on that and then i focused on you know making my vibrato more consistent and then trying to build the confidence to do some of those voice cracks and yodels that i do that came a little later and then i wasn't happy with my range i felt like i was lacking like low end so i really started pushing that and then on this last record, I really wanted to push my higher, my higher end of my range um, and build that and really like go for some stuff I typically wouldn't go for live. So I'd be forced to do it once the record comes out. Um, some of those really long notes or really high notes, I would sh- a couple of years ago, even on the first record, I would have shied away from um, just because I, for fear of screwing it up live, you know? Mm. Um, so I'm always pushing to try to make my voice better, but yeah, I wasn't even confident enough to call myself a singer Mm. three years ago. Wow. Um, and I'd already been playing out for seven years. That's so interesting. I love your voice. That's why, I mean, that's why I wanted to ask you about it. That's so interesting, man. Um, are you, did you, and when you're working on those things, because I think that's something when I think about any creative pursuit, there are certain areas that, that I might want to work on, but I don't know how to go about it, right? Like, yeah. do you, are you watching tutorials? Did you have a voice coach? When you're working on these things, what does the mechanics of that look like? Um, just trying and failing. Mm. I've never had a voice coach. Um, I kind of tried a vocal tutorial thing before, like it was a podcast and it didn't really do it for me. I feel like for people who don't sing, you know, they're not really aware of how much physicality Mm. goes into it. Like how much of your body is working, you know, to make tones and vibrato and, volume and pitch and you know everything Mm. work and for some reason just listening to someone describing it or watching it on a video just doesn't translate to me Mm. i'm like i miss something so for me i just have to try and fail a bunch uh in Mm. my house and then eventually i figure something out um (laughs) but just like my guitar playing you know i can fake something on record uh and it'll sound cool or whatever but if someone who actually knows what they're doing were to watch it they'd be like oh you're doing that all wrong and i know (laughs) i'm doing it wrong but um you know what does it matter yeah you know if you figure it out and you it's fine (laughs) right ultimately exactly ultimately don't you know understand how it all works but don't um don't let that get in the way of your enjoyment for sure um which is why i didn't watch the last dance so um (laughs) the we always end on what you're getting down on uh what you mentioned documentaries earlier 
what art is inspiring you right now? What have you been listening to or reading or other things you've been watching? Um, I've been going for drives in the morning mm. while mm. it's still cool out. Um, it's been really hot in Dallas a couple last couple weeks. So I get out kind of early in the morning and go for a drive. And um, I live in East Dallas and this is where I grew up. And so I guess I miss going to a lot of places and that I'm mm. used to going to and just driving by them when the weather's nice and listening to music is a, is a decent substitute. So mm. I drive around white rock Lake and, um, you know, drive past the bars I used to drink at. Um, but I've been listening, I've been trying to pick albums that I can put on and I don't have to touch. So like, I don't have to fiddle with my, you know, Spotify or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and so Yola has uh. been on the list lately. Um, Lizzo, uh, I just re-listened to Pet Sounds this morning for the mm. first time in a while. Um, I just spaced on his name. Just a, I'm like, we're friends. How did that happen? Oh, Robert <laughs> Ellis. Um, I've been listening to Texas Piano Man, uh, quite a bit mm. and, um, yeah, just trying to find an album that's really good from front to back so that I get to listen to the whole, <laughs> the whole thing without skipping anything. Yeah. Well, those are some good ones. I, that makes me, that inspires me to, to revisit pet sounds. It has been a minute. This has been a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm, yeah. I'm really grateful for your time and thanks for being so flexible about everything. Yeah, man, for sure. Thanks for having me. My it's pleasure to do it. Awesome. All right, man. Take care. All right. Thank you. Joshua Ray Walker, y'all. Thank you so much, Josh. Thank you all for listening. What a pleasure. What an incredible songwriter he is and a, and a huge talent. Just really, really great songs and, and delivered in such a dynamic fashion. I've actually never had the pleasure of seeing Josh live, and I really hope that someday very soon that can be a reality. I hope y'all are hanging in, in there, everybody. Um, you know, I'm thinking about everybody out there. Folks who I haven't had a chance to connect with in person in a long time, uh, as, as well as folks that I thankfully get to connect with on Instagram or, or Twitter. We're no longer on Facebook, and it feels good, but connect with us on Twitter. Uh, connect with us on Instagram. You can go to marinadepodcast.com to keep up with all things The Marinade as well. Give us a rating on your podcast app. Give us that five-star rating if you like what we're doing. 
tell a friend about the show. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to, to spread the word and help us out. And if you really love what we're doing, please consider joining our Patreon community where for just a few bucks a month, you can get Patreon exclusive access to uh, shows like Jason's Journey, where I talk about the the creative moments in my life. And a lot of times I'll tell backstories behind the show and the episodes. That Patreon really makes things work, y'all. It helps us pay for the overhead for the show and gives us a little extra that, you know, I've been saving up for one of these days when I'm able to travel and go to music festivals again so I can cover some festivals and and be able to interview some folks that I don't get to see face-to-face very often. So um, thank you so much to everybody who contributes to the Patreon. You don't have to contribute to the Patreon by any means. You know, I just, all those free things are are really huge helps. Um, also, a not-so-free thing is uh, we've got our hats, and they look great. They're black and white. They're by Dome Hats out of Jacksonville, Florida, marinadepodcast.com slash store for that. All things Josh at joshuaraywalker.com. Go get a copy of his record, y'all. It's just wonderful. And uh, and I, if you haven't gotten into it, trust me, you, you'll dig it. All right, y'all, it's time for what I'm getting down on, the segment of the show where I talk about the art that is inspiring me at the moment. Um, you know, like a lot of folks, this is going to be a little different one. Like a lot of folks who listen to Americana and folk music, uh, I'm I and 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 the show uh, in the in the greater show community are mourning the loss of J- of Justin Towns Earl. Um, you know, I I only met Justin once, uh, and I didn't know how to go about this because he wasn't like a personal friend of mine by any means, and I never had the pleasure of having him on the show. But his art meant so much to me, and you know, I. Everybody grieves differently. Um, and I know people who who don't grieve for folks that they don't personally know. Um, but I am not one of those people. I, I grieve for people whose art has meant so much to me because um, I feel such a connection with them, even if I don't know them personally. Um, and I don't think one is better than the other. I think um, everybody's entitled to whatever they need to do to grieve. One of the ways that I, I get through those moments, whether it's someone I know personally, um, which can often be very devastating for me, or if it's someone whose art I loved or someone who I knew kind of more on the periphery, is I write. And uh, the other morning, right after Justin passed, I, I got up and wrote. And um, it's not a polished piece, and I don't know if I'll ever actually publish it, but I thought I'd share at least part of it just because... Um, you know, I've been listening to his music a ton since he passed. Um, there's plenty of other art that I'll, I'll talk about in the next couple of episodes, but but Justin's what's been on my mind. So um, I thought I'd share this little piece that I wrote. Uh, again, not particularly polished. I'm not making excuses. I just, uh, just want you to know this is just kind of me bearing my heart. I wrote it as sort of like a letter to him. Your dad was the reason I got into so many things. He changed my sense of what it meant to be country or rock or folk. He had a swagger with which I could identify, but was so much cooler than I could ever dream of achieving. Steve Earle was the reason I got into your music. Your music is the reason I became a lifelong fan. I saw you play drums with him circa 2004 at the Florida Theater in Jacksonville. My dad was with me. It seems like our relationships were very different, but um, but that memory will be forever linked to fathers and sons for me. Your debut collection of songs came out about the time I was mounting my first attempt at being an adult. That attempt face-planted, 
but the themes of Yuma and your subsequent gorgeous records uh, resonate with me. I never took to drugs, but my demons are nonetheless real. Uh, my father was very active in raising me, and unlike yours, but we still have a lot of work to do on our relationship, and, and we do. You opened for Lucero in New York circa 2007. The venue was a cruise that started in the Hudson and then rolled around the tip of Manhattan. The boat kissed up against the Statue of Liberty and under the Brooklyn Bridge before returning to port. I drank too many beers that day, um, but still the memory is very much seared in my mind. I was in love at the time and spending a lot of my time flying between Florida and New York. Uh, A few years later, you wrote about being broke in Brooklyn, sharing a tiny apartment and going through the humanness of sharing such a small space with someone. The reality of getting up and going through the grind with a person you love in a place that's often glamorized yet misunderstood. My relationship ended just before the record was released. And here in your perspective, a man around my age who took a different but somewhat parallel path Help me understand the decisions I was making. Your art helped me process. One of your greatest gifts was telling other people's stories. Um, sure, your dad has the same power, but you found your own way. Your voice is not his. You were your own artist. The next time I had the honor of seeing your talents was my trip to Spirit, my first trip to Spirit of the Swanee Music Park. I couldn't afford a full camping pass at the time, so I camped at a county park about half an hour out of town. Jason Isbell had recently released Here We Rest, and he was on the bill as well. It was you, uh, Jason, and Jim Lauderdale, who played in the round at like noon. Jim, the legend, was in the middle, and Jason stage right, you stage left, as I remember it. At the time, Isbell's Alabama Pines was not exactly a household tune, nor was his name a household name. I remember people in the crowd looking at each other and saying things like, uh, "You know, who who is that guy? Oh, he's he's from that one band, the North Miss. No, 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 the Drive-By Truckers." And when Jason let loose with that now classic Alabama Pines, you had to physically cover your mic to keep from singing over him. Later that night, you played a full band show. Even with all those names, your set was the highlight of the festival for me. A festival that included. As I mentioned, Jason Isbell in the 400 unit, Jim Lauderdale, and all the normal Swanee favorites. You opened up for Warren Haynes a few years later. It wasn't your best. Uh, You seemed tired. My friends commented about your voice. um, And I got defensive, even though it was clear you weren't totally on top of your game that evening. But judging wasn't in the cards. You would have been a sophomore when I was a senior if you hadn't dropped out of school. Uh, We didn't grow up in the same place, but in so many ways, it it seems like you accomplished and overcame much more than me in your short time with us. One thing I feel confident about is that your work has made a profound mark on my life. I got to your work because of your name, and once there, I was easily able to separate the lineage. That is until this moment. You're gone, and your family is still here. And I don't really know what happened. And even as reports come out, I'll keep my distance from attachment to the actual root, the actual cause of your death. But I will be vocal about addiction and mental health. Um, I thought you were so cool, uh, and I still do. Handsome, clever, and full of talent. 
and you can be all those things and still struggle with addiction and depression and all the heavy stuff. And, you know, those things are not mutually exclusive. And I hope that, that this show is a vehicle to, to normalize that conversation, regardless of why you're gone. You're away from us far too soon in my book. And as I binge your records in tribute, I'm reminded of your wild spirit and the humanity with which you approached writing. And those things are the reason why I continue to admire you.